Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you to everyone for celebrating episode number 50. Last episode, it is exciting. I appreciate everyone for uh, supporting what we're building here at Page Turners. Shout out to the good people over at KeystoneDigital.tv for distributing Page Turners. Uh, just, I really appreciate everyone's support for backing the vision. Uh, yeah. Thank you all. We are continuing with our reading of The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power for Dr. Jared A. Ball. We are just beginning Chapter 6. Uh, chapter 6 is titled Freedom Was the Call, but instead they got a bank. Boy. <laughs> well, damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the abstract. And I read claims that black people should pool their savings, assets, and wealth with the use of black-owned banks has a long history of being shown as insufficient in addressing economic inequality. The claim has a particular attachment to the myth of buying power and therefore deserves some special attention. If, as the claim goes, there is this pool of money that black people spend which is circulated and calculated as buying power, that money should be deposited in black banks, which would allow those banks to better serve black communities. However, this myth being built in part upon another, that of black buying power, assures, as its history makes clear, that banking black cannot solve inequality. Now, for you guys who are tuning into this, you might have seen... Uh, some of your favorite <laughs> black celebrities pushing banking black. Uh, there are some folks that, such as Killer Mike, who are pushing the banking black. Uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, so if you, when you get a moment, man, do your Googles of Killer Mike and Banks. Do your Googles, okay? <laughs> and I read, Black banking is often promoted among and along with buying power as a means toward collective advance with a long tradition dating back to the 19th century. From the post-Civil War era to 21st century, from the Freedmen's Bureau to Bank Black, hashtag, there continues some form of the idea that redirecting existing Black money, buying power, into Black banks can be collective, corrective measure to persistent inequality. Even most recently, it was reported that the stars are aligned, literally, between the bookends of Killer Mike's call to action in 2016 and Jay Z's 444 in July 2017, both parties <laughs> are sending the black community a clear message to use our 1.2 trillion in annual spending 
More purposely, both artists are promoting collective economics. Yikes. And I read, first it must be noted, again, that the bookends of Killer Mike and Jay-Z are meant to represent the breadth of black politics adopting the practices of supporting black businesses, banking, and buying power. Killer Mike is often considered more politically left, supporting Bernie Sanders, marijuana legalization, and offering at times politically thoughtful lyrics, most famously as part of the multiracial duo Run the Jewels. Jay-Z has a far more corporate Democratic supporter of Hillary Rodham Clinton. (laughs) Black Republican songwriting persona. But both adhere to variations of buying power and black banking and are used by One United Bank in a public relations hashtag bank black project, which promotes depositing black dollars into privately owned black bank as collective economics. Secondly, it is also worth noting that rarely do any discussions of banking black or that buying power include references to criticisms of the idea, historical or otherwise. The long history of debate around effectiveness of black banks to serve the needs of the black community is further suppressed by the promotion of headline-grabbing numbers, in part by the very outlets producing the numbers and the headlines. We have seen already how the commercial black press as largely a subsidiary class functionary of the mainstream helps to produce buying power reports while not offering similar space or time to direct critiques or even indirect reporting, which details another economic reality. So, for example, this most current iteration of the call from hashtag bank black, much like his 19th century and 20th century, Encouraging saving money in black banks and uses celebrities to promote the easily digestible call to action. Questions. Let's pause here for just a second. Questions that we should be asking. Why are we so susceptible to having or buying into what celebrities say? It's not a new phenomenon. It's not something that just happened. But why are we so susceptible and vulnerable to what black celebrities say, what they promote? Okay. However, this largely works to suppress long-existing intellectual and activist debate around the subject and the copious research over the decades which detailed, at minimum, a far more precarious history of black banks as models of black communal uplift, the implicit and at times explicit claims attached to each renewed call contains some form of the associated buying power myth that black uplift is inhibited largely to the failure of black people themselves. God, I hate that that we point to each other as being the responsible parties for our economic standing. I, I just, it drives me up the wall. 
how we point fingers and literally blame each other for our collective. Anyway, and I read, though beyond the scope of this work, there is tremendous body of literature, which has attempted to clarify from varying perspectives, the history of black banking. While there may be varied opinion as to specific causes, there is a general unanimity around the insufficiency of black banks as mechanisms to advance the entire black community. The unscientific observation that an objective reality filled with persistent inequality and worse is proof of the inability of black banks to solve these problems is supported by the fact that so many for so long have overlooked, I'm sorry, for so long have looked to explain why, be it the previously mentioned work of Afari, Bremer, Bates, Bradford, Ammons, or the more recent study of 2015, UFE, State of the Dream Report, underbanked and overcharged, there are themes which run throughout, none of which seem ever addressed in popular hashtag bank black style calls to action. Among the paralleling themes challenging black banks are, of course, centuries of exclusion from capital, paid labor, or public policy support for the establishment and protection of black banks. There are issues of higher labor costs and of servicing fees and rates of private versus government deposits. But essentially, while there is debate as to severity, impact, or potential, the primary issues facing black banks are similar to the underlying problem facing claims of black buying power. Black people do not have enough money. Black people do not have enough to deposit wealth to offer as collateral, nor the ability to circumvent persistent white supremacist evaluations of black housing, land, or business to generate the kinds of banking economic strength required to serve the needs of the black community. As has been summarized, black banks should be viewed as institutions facing typical small bank problems. The primary question here would then be, why should it be expected that any small bank could solve the very large economic problems faced for centuries by black America? In her recent book, The Color of Money, Black Banks and the Racial Wealth Gap. Marissa Baranaran details the many ways in which banking cannot solve economic disparities. Pause, side note. Get that book, read that book. It is phenomenal. Okay? The Color of Money, Black Banks and Racial Wealth Gap. Marissa Baranaran. Okay? And I read, in fact, as she points out, black banking has been an anemic response to racial inequality that has yielded virtually nothing in closing the wealth gap. Summarizing, several of her larger points is of value and speaks to the themes which are seen throughout the tradition of criticism of black banking. 
The first is that black banks cannot solve problems of inequality because of the very nature of banking. Ultimately, the white supremacy carried out through public policy, which both limits the income and wealth black people have historically and today been able to accumulate and which mitigates material gain by devaluing what black people own. As she points out, for instance, black people by racist policy earn less and therefore have less to invest or deposit. The property available to black people and due to racist devaluation, the property black people end up with cannot generate the kinds of profits banking home loans would be designed to bring back in returns. And because black banks are too small, containing what is too little wealth held by black people, the profit banks rely on that which would normally come from investing depositors' accounts in the global market is also available to these black banks. This is, as Baranaran describes, is a combustible situation over time. In fact, she writes, and as we discussed during our interview, well-meaning efforts to have black people move their money over to black banks actually hurts those banks. Contrary to what is promised by popular calls to bank black, because these banks are largely isolated from larger economies and are often dealing with small incremental deposits and savings and historically have had less return on investments or loans, all of which cost banks to service, there is little that can be generated to actually perform the community uplift often ascribed to their potential. For instance, the call to deposit black income in black banks does not help small banks, black banks as is assumed. Deposits, Baranaran points out, are liabilities to banks. Deposits become debt, which banks must service with interest and have covered and available should any depositor want their money at any given time. (laughs) Unlike larger banks, working with much larger sums and with full access to invest those sums in global economy assuring greater returns, black banks cannot cover cannot afford to loan out and do not reciprocate recuperate rather loans at the same rate and with the same levels of profit as described above black banks may want to self-promote as being one with political movements and with the people but they as baranaran noted do not really find value in what most black people can deposit and this is a hard pill to swallow, family, that this idea. And I mean, there's so, so much truth pushed in this. I, I know it's a struggle to, to grasp it, but just hold on and unpack it and just walk through it. Okay. And I read, this was evidence more recently, February 10th, 2017, when it was reported that the Black-owned Seaway Bank of Chicago closed and was sold off due to operations of an unsafe and unsound nature that resulted in inadequate capital to protect its depositors. As the story continues, 
Prior to its acquisition by the State Bank of Texas, Seaway Bank, which had approximately $361 million in total assets and $307 million in total deposits. The FDIC press release states, press release stated, but the institution's heavy involvement in the hashtag bank black movement last year still wasn't enough to secure much needed depositors from the African-American community. During the resurgence of the tradition under the banner hashtag by blank, it was reported in 2016 that the U.S. had 23 black-owned banks, credit unions, or savings and loan associations as of March 31st, according to the Federal Reserve. 23 family. 23. The nation's 156 minority-owned banks collectively hold $131 billion in assets. That number would then be down to 22. The precise number of black banks reported existing in 1969 and with roughly 360 million fewer in total minority-owned banking assets. The reporting misleads in this instance by describing collectively the assets of minority-owned banks as if there was one entity working in unison under unified direction with a unified purpose, as would be the case in one bank. The distortion is further compounded by also then not doing the same as it regards white-owned banks. The reported $131 billion in minority-owned banking assets would put the collective value held by 156 banks as only 16th among the top U.S. banks alone. Jeez. The top three of these banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, each alone have assets in the trillions. Shit. Let me read that one more time because that's bothersome. The reported $131 billion in minority-owned banking assets wouldn't put the collective value held by 156 banks as only 16th among the top U.S. banks alone. So all of the banks, 156 banks, would only rank 16th among the top U.S. banks. So all the black banks, the 156, and these are not all black banks. These are minority-owned black banks. There are 22, right? And then the top three banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, each alone have assets in the trillions. One of these banks by themselves has nearly 10 times what all the so-called minority-owned banks have combined and therefore can use those assets to create even more vast wealth in ways black banks never could. The wealth and opportunities these dominant banks generate is routinely used 
absent of detail as reference points for the claim that black banking can in some way create similar realities for black people. But gaps in society play out at all levels and banking is no different. What myths of black buying power, banking, and capitalism, all denied aside from real potential, are histories of previous critique. As was mentioned earlier regarding buying power, Baradaran also summarizes traditions of black attempts to engage black banking in criticism of those efforts and from across the black political spectrum. As has been the case with the smaller cousins buying power, Black banking has been supported by the full panoply of black political varieties and for much the same reason, a fundamental misunderstanding of definition and function have many, even the well-meaning, to assume their ability to make use of these endeavors in ways perhaps even unintended by those who make them available. Listen to this list. From Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Jesse Jackson, the Black Panther Party, to Barack Obama, all have, for various reasons, supported the value of black banking. Today, the bank black concept, as championed by new pundits and leadership, such as Killer Mike, T.I., and Black Lives Matter, but as remains the case today, and is certainly the case with buying power, criticism of black banking and capitalism have long suffered an inattention reserved only for those often dismissed as crushing hope or being marginal themselves. However, there has been a tradition of even mainstream economic critique of black criticism and banking, the focus of which has largely been that public policy or politics is primary deterrent of wealth creation, distribution, and specifically of banking. For instance, the work of Andrew Brimmer, a black Harvard trained economist and first black governor of the Federal Reserve under Lyndon B. Johnson, described black capitalism and banking as a cruel hoax, mirage, and ornaments. <sighs> Brimmer's ultimate concerns were simply that black people have been segregated economically, not just socially, from all wealth-producing mechanism as a result cannot supply the originating revenue or have access to global mechanisms of wealth production to have banks be anything other than sources of racial pride, but never instruments of economic development. Damn. All these issues came to head on July 20th, 2016, during an episode of Voices with Vision, which airs on WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C. Pause. That is a station that you want to check out. They do great work. You can check out their podcast, Voices with Vision, with the brother Nefta Freeman. And I read, I was invited to the show by host Nefta Freeman, Jennifer Bryant, and Garrett Harrison to discuss black buying power as part of a larger discussion about black economics with B. Doyle Mitchell, president and CEO of the Black-Owned Industrial Bank, started in D.C. by his grandfather. 
In telling the history of industrial, almost immediately Mitchell encouraged black deposits in black banks because we have tremendous spending power. He said, but it does us no good because we spend it outside of our community. Shit. We go to the club, he went on to say, and spend all of our Friday's earnings outside the community. By Monday, more specifically, Mitchell's calls for more black banking were, as he said, based on the one plus trillion reported often as our buying power, which he also, as discussed above, made the common error of literally defining amazingly our GDP, our income. Once more, GDP is the value of all goods and services in any given country during or any given year and is a value which goes to the owners of those goods and services. GDP is not a number depicting the economic strength of various communities within the country, nor is GDP, as Mitchell also said, a measurement of anyone's income. When I alerted him of this fact that buying power numbers are not derived from a black national GDP, Mitchell, like most, unaware of the origins of his own claim, acts exasperated. Where do those numbers come from? My attempt to quickly summarize the origins of these fictitious buying power numbers did not impress Mr. Mitchell whose response was merely to dismiss the critique in favor of a more vague reference, some money. <laughs> yeah. Being out there that black people misuse, Mitchell exemplified the process of black business interests propelling a mythology to black audience. His factually incorrect description of buying power, coupled with his refusal to engage those details while simply repeating claims of potential collective uplift via deposits in his and other black banks, perfect, perfectly demonstrated in that moment the process which described here. Fundamental misunderstanding and misrepresentation of key facts related to GDP, income, and claims of buying power by the president of a bank, no less, is precisely what leads to so much confusion of these and related issues, as well as what can be done about them. So, in fact, Mitchell, during the course of a long and not practically specific answer to question, posed about how exactly investments in black banks help the black community, <clears throat> explained the very problem. I had attempted to lay out during our discussion with, and a point made very well by Baranovan, Mitchell explained that industrial bank made loans to the point where we need deposits to fund the loans made to other customers. Never mind that Mitchell's response seemed more describe a classic pyramid scheme than any actual community well-producing mechanism or process, but as stated, the limitations are inherent to the situation itself. Black people, as a result of a history of white supremacy and economic exclusion, earn less, have what little they own devalued as a result, and therefore are given less and more interest-laden loans, which appreciate less simply as a result of becoming black property, and therefore also yield less in value in a small part due also to the fact that black people then, as consumers, have less 
to spend. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> stop there, man. say about this man again I always want to thank Dr. Ball for the wonderful work that he's done with the myth and propaganda of black buying power I think it's phenomenal work I appreciate the work that he's done I sincerely do it's fascinating though man how for the life of me we still buy and sell this notion that the reason why we are broke